0: All right, if you would, I'm going to start out uh, by going back to the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 9. We're going to spend a little bit of time this morning on looking at this chart so you can kind of have an understanding of how all this stuff fits together. But I want to go back to Daniel chapter 9 so that you have a grasp of God's plan for Israel in the midst of the time frame that we're dealing with. These seven years of the tribulation time. So Daniel chapter 9, if you remember that Daniel was praying about God being faithful to his promise that he would deliver Israel from their captivity and their desolations after a 70-year period. And so in the midst of his prayer, the angel came, comes to Daniel and gives him a vision, not about the 70-year captivity, but about seventy-sevens of years that God has planned for Israel to fulfill all of the promises that He's made to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to all the prophets, to King David. All the promises He made to Israel will be fulfilled during this period of 490 years. And that's what the angel says in verse 24 of Daniel chapter 9. Seventy weeks. Now that 70 weeks is not 70 weeks of days. It's 70 weeks of years. The term is 77s. The sevens could be applied to anything, but in the context, we understand it means seventy sevens of years. So it's talking about 490 years. Seventy weeks have been decreed for your people, for your holy city, to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, to anoint the most holy. So all these things are the promises made to Israel. Which will include their eternal salvation, will include fulfilling all of the promises and prophecies that have been made. It will fulfill the promise of the coming Messiah and the anointing of the holy place in Jerusalem for this, the Messiah to rule on the throne of David and to have the Messianic age, the age of blessing and prosperity that's been promised to Israel. All this will be brought in during this 400, at the end of this 490 years. So we know that the first 483 years started, in verse 25, from a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem that was made in 445 B.C. by Artaxerxes. He made a decree for them to go back and rebuild the walls of the city. And that was the starting point of this 490 years. And so from that point up until the time of the coming of the Messiah. So in verse 26, then after the 62 weeks and the seven weeks, the the first seven weeks was the, was the 49 years it took to rebuild the city, and then after that, there's 62 more weeks up until the time of Messiah the Prince. So if you take from the 445 B.C. and you go up until the time when Jesus walks, rides down the avenue on the colt of the donkey or the donkey, and the people proclaim him to be the Messiah the Prince, that is the end of the first 483 years. And then it says after that, after that period of 483 years, it says... The Messiah will be cut off and have nothing, and the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The people who destroyed the city and the sanctuary was the Romans in 70 A.D. So this is a prophecy about that destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. Now the people of the prince who is to come, the prince who is to come is what Daniel's already talked about in chapter 7, which we'll talk about here a little bit, longer, a little bit later when we're talking about the political program of the Antichrist and the last reigner, the last ruler of the, of the fourth kingdom. But this prince who's to come is a description of that last king. We know him as the Antichrist. It says the prince who's come uh, will come in verse 27, and he, the prince who's to come, will make a firm covenant with the many for one week. But in the middle of the week he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offerings, and on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate, even till a complete destruction, one that is decreed, is poured out on the one who makes desolate. Okay, so we have seven years left of this 490 years. And it will not begin until there is a covenant made between this prince who is to come, which is the Antichrist, and the nation of Israel. It's the nation of Israel that rejected Messiah, and had him crucified, and therefore God stopped the program with Israel, and he brought in the mystery form of the kingdom, which was the church age, and then when the church age is complete, he will turn his attention back to Israel. So again, one of the reasons we believe strongly that the church is not included in this seven years is because this seven years is part of the program for Israel. Israel and the church are two distinct organizations that God is dealing with, the nation of Israel is God's ethnic people on earth. The church is God's bride of Christ or the, the bride of Jesus Christ. It is a spiritual people that is going to be raptured out prior to the, seven, the last seven years of the program for Israel begins. That's why we hold to that. It's one of the main reasons, but there's plenty of other reasons we do also, and we shared several of those. So anyway, this seven-week period is a period that's coming up and that is included When you get to the book of Revelation, you have the chronology of that seven years. And so chapters uh, 6, 7, 8, and 9, or 6, 7, and 8, going into 9, are the the first half of that seven-year period. And it talks about 1260 days. It talks about, which is three and a half years on the Jewish calendar. It talks about a period of 42 months to come in the second half, which is again three and a half years. So it's it's seven-year period divided into two three and a half year segments. So on your chart, you have that seven years. Now on the first chart I gave you, it was the, the, the ages of time. It had the beginning of creation all the way to the, the new creation of the new heaven, new earth. And in the middle of that first chart you had, there's a place called the Second Advent. And the Second Advent begins with the rapture of the church, and it goes to the beginning of the kingdom age. It's when the second coming of Christ, he comes to set up the thousand-year messianic reign or the thousand-year kingdom that's promised to the Old Testament. In between that period of time, the rapture of the church and the beginning of the kingdom age is what we call the Second Advent. It's the events of the second coming of Christ to to bring in or to give birth to the kingdom age, okay? So the chart that you have today is the second advent of Christ. It fits in that window there on your first chart that is labeled as the second advent of Christ, beginning with the rapture and ending with the beginning of the kingdom age. Now, if you look on your chart, you have right there, you have this rapture takes place prior to the beginning of the seven years, now we could be a short-term time frame there, it could be several years, it could be several days, it could be several months. There's no indication of how long it will be between the rapture church and the beginning of the seven years. The rapture church does not begin the seven-year clock. What begins the seven-year clock is when the Antichrist enters into a covenant with Israel. Now, if you look in that in that passage there, it says he will make a firm covenant with many for one week, but in the middle of the week he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering. Now, if he's going to put a stop to the sacrifice and grain offerings, it makes sense that the purpose of the covenant is to allow them to have sacrifice and grain offerings. Does that make sense? Okay, so what's going to happen and what we've talked about during the first half of the tribulation, we we talked about once this event takes place where he enters into a covenant with Israel, then we talked about the book which is the scroll that is, de- is described in Revelation chapter 5. This scroll is sealed with seven seals. The 7 seal scroll is the title deed to the earth or the right to rule the earth or the right to have authority to rule the earth, which Jesus Christ is going to have. He is going to be the one who is worthy to open the book. He's the one that's worthy to open, uh, to, to bring in the kingdom, and he is the Messiah that will reign, the King of kings and Lord of lords. So Jesus Christ is the one that's worthy to open the book. So if you think about the seven seal scroll, this seven seal scroll right here, at the beginning of this seven-year period of time, all seven of these seals are broken. They're not a series of judgments that you have seven seals, and then you have seven trumpets, and then you have seven bowls, which a lot of people, that's the way they give you a ind- uh, interpretation of. That doesn't make sense, because what you have here is the first seal, we studied, already done, begins with the man riding on a white horse, and that is the Antichrist. And so what you have is the opening up of the events of the Antichrist during the seven years. Now, we know that for the first three and a half years, and we'll talk about this in a minute, about the, the political structure, the first three and a half years, he is reigning with ten other kings. At the midpoint, there's a war, and he overtakes, he kills three of those kings, and then the other seven submit to him. In the second half, he rules as a dictator for 42 months. So his program is opened up with the beginning of the first seal at the, at the beginning of the, of the seven years, and his program continues all the way through. The second seal is the taking peace from the earth. So you, you start uh, in First Thessalonians chapter 5 when it says, the day of the Lord will come as a thief of the night, when they're saying peace and safety. So at a time when the world is at relatively peace and quiet because of whatever is going on with the Antichrist and the world political scene and all that, there's going to be a time of relatively peace. And then the Antichrist is going to sign a covenant with Israel, and then peace will be taken from the earth. So throughout this entire seven years, there's going to be worldwide conflicts, which means conflicts between individual groups of people or groups of nations or whatever there is, tribal, in, tribal conflicts. All over the world, there's going to be conflicts. There's going to be several major worldwide wars through this, including at the beginning of the Tribulation and in the middle of the Tribulation, and then you have the, the, the setting up of Armageddon, which is a... Compilation of all the armies of the Antichrist into northern Israel to fight against Jesus Christ when he comes back. So war peace will be taken from the earth during the seven years. There'll be continual conflicts and fightings and wars throughout the seven years. The third seal is the shortage of food and fresh water. Because of the judgments of God, because of the wars, because of the continual conflicts, there's going to be a decrease in the amount of food and fresh water. So throughout the seven years, there's going to be a dwindling of the, uh, the availability of food and fresh water, so that's going to cause famines throughout the time of the seven years, which will be increasingly getting worse as you go through the seven years. Because of that, there will be death. Now this death doesn't occur at one moment in time at the beginning of, at the, first, the when the fourth seal is unfolded. It's a death that, that is accumulated over the seven year period. And during the seven year period, because of the wars, because of the the famine, the disease, and wild animals that will be allowed to turn on mankind, which could be mosquitoes, could be rats, could be plagues, could be whatever is going to be caused by wild animals. Because of these four things, a fourth of the world's population will die during the the seven years. Okay? Now, the fifth seal is the martyrdom of of believers. These believers will come to know Christ during the tribulation. They're not the church saints. They're saints that come to know Christ during the tribulation by the preaching of the 144,000 Jews. The 144,000 Jews are the first fruits of the Jewish remnant. They're commissioned at the very beginning of the tribulation, and they preach the gospel of the kingdom, the gospel that Jesus Christ is king throughout the time when the Antichrist message is Jesus is not God, is not the king. So there are going to be two distinct, separate messages going on. One is the preaching of the 144,000. The other is the proclamation of the Antichrist and his minions. Okay? So, during the seven years, people are going to be saved. He's mostly referring to Gentile nations here, are going to be saved. The first half of the Tribulation, they're going to be martyred by the one world religious system, which is the... The harlot described in chapter 17 of Revelation, the harlot is the one world system of religion that denies Christ. Those that were part of the church, whether it's the Catholic church or any other Episcopal church or whatever church would be, that is not truly saved, they will be a part of this one world religious system. The ones that name the name of Christ, like the Catholic church, that go into this one world religious system will have to apostatize, and that's what the apostasy Paul talks about in 2 Thessalonians is, is when the church, the Christian church, apostatizes and rejects the name of Jesus. Christian is those who take the name of Christ. If you apostatize from taking the name of Christ, you reject the name of Christ, and you join a one world religious system that is opposed to Christ. The reason the Antichrist enters into this treaty with Israel is to allow Israel to have a separate religion from the rest of the world, which is the religion of the Old Testament, because they've already rejected the name of Christ. They've already rejected Jesus Christ, and to fulfill God's purposes, the Antichrist has this brilliant idea to allow Israel to go back into the Old Testament worship of the temple. Now, he didn't come up with that on his own. God caused him to come up with that, and he is going to enter into a covenant with Israel to allow them to have temple worship during the seven-year period, okay? So all this is going to be going on in the first half. Now, also in the first half, you have, and we'll talk about the wrath of God here in a minute, but you have the wrath of God through his creation. So the, the, tri, the, uh, the, the sixth seal is when there are earthquakes, there are meteors, there are tsunamis, there are all kinds of things that are going to, to be the wrath of God being poured out through his creative order. And so the people are going to see the blackouts of the sun, they're going to see the earthquakes, and they're going to cry out, this is the wrath of God, hide us from the wrath of God. They're going to hide in the, in the mountains or whatever. But this is going to be an ongoing thing throughout the seven years, Lost my is that the wrath of God is going to be used to create Uh, judgments of God that are going to be uh, through the natural creative order, so throughout. There's going to be major earthquakes throughout the seven years, one at the very end, one at the very beginning, and then there'll be other earthquakes and and meteors throughout the the seven-year period. Okay, now the last one is the one that's mostly unique. It's the seventh seal, and you have the supernatural wrath of God being poured out. Now this starts out in the first half with the trumpet judgments. The trumpet judgments are demonic. That allows God, God allows Satan to carry out demonic judgments of God. So the trumpet judgments are judgments of demonic means. The, the fifth trumpet judgment is when the demons are loose to, to, to bring sores and to, to torment people for five months. The sixth trumpet is the army of 200 million demons that kill a third of the population of the earth. And then the seventh trumpet begins the second half of the tribulation. The seventh trumpet is the third woe judgment. The fifth trumpet and the sixth trumpet and the seventh trumpet are the three woes. Woe, woe, woe to those on earth. The first woe is the the five-month torment of the demons. The second woe is the uh, 200 million demons that kill a third of the population of the earth. And the third woe goes through the entirety of the second half, which is the unholy trinity. It's when Satan is cast down out of heaven and he is cast down to the earth. He resurrects or brings back to life this beast, which is the, the Antichrist. And then the false prophet is introduced, and you have the unholy trinity that is in power for the second half of the tribulation. Question? So uh, you said all these happen simultaneously. Is that includes as well the seventh? seal, that's not just kind of same. It opens up, it opens up, at, you have them in sequence. So you have the first one first, but they're all in the same time frame at the beginning of the seven years, okay? So you have one, two, three, all the way down to seven. They're opened up in a, conse- a conceptual sequence, but it's all at the beginning, and then the effects of every seal goes for the entirety of the seven years. Okay, so the, the demonic activity. Start right from the... Well, it's a supernatural activity. God allows the demonic activity at the beginning. So if you take the first trumpet judgment, the second trumpet, and third trumpet, and the fourth trumpet, they are supernatural demonic allowances to take things that would harm the earth, like a third of the, earth, the grass is burned up, a third of the fresh water is polluted. But these are polluted by demonic sources, not natural sources. Okay? So we get into the second half of that we'll talk about later. The first half is the wrath of God being carried out through demonic means and through the uh, imposition of the, the, un- uh, of the uh, demons' invasion. The second half is through demonic means from the, the control of Satan and the worship of Satan, and also the, the final wrath of God being poured out in the seven bowls that will also be supernatural judgments from God Himself during the second half of the tribulation. Any questions? I thought that um, we learned before the day of the Lord was the same time of the rapture, and immediately the Christ was revealed. But you show a question mark. We don't know. The day of the Lord begins when the rapture takes place. That's the only event that's described as taking place suddenly, without any warning, without any sign, without any anticipation. It just happens, and then after that, the day of the Lord has begun. the The, the tribulation, the seven year clock starts when the Antichrist signs a covenant with Israel. So at some point, the Antichrist has to become a one world, It has to become a figure that's powerful enough in the world to have the influence to sign a covenant. So it can't just be anybody that signs a covenant, it has to be somebody that has the power to enforce that covenant. So more than likely, the Antichrist is going to come up with a program that will incorporate a ten kingdom that will have a political power over the whole world and part of that program that he enters into will be a one-world political system and a one-world economic system and a one-world religious system. And at that time, when he has that much power, he will, he will engage into a covenant with Israel, which will begin a seven-year tribulation time of judgment. The rapture's, the rapture's already taken place. It could be the day before. Okay, I'm not saying. That's why there's a question mark. Nobody knows the how much time. Now, at the end of the seven years, we know that there's 75 days between the the Lord coming back and putting an end to the seven years and the beginning of the kingdom age. We know that there are 75 days there. We don't know how much time between the rapture and the beginning of the seven years. Any other questions? Okay. Now, in Daniel chapter nine, he talks about this abomination of desolation, right? So the abomination of desolation is it occurs at the same time that he puts an end to the sacrifice and the grain offering. So at some point in time, there's going to be a temple built because you have to have a temple for them to to exercise the sacrifices in the temple. So either before the tribulation begins or at least by the time of the midpoint of the tribulation, either either Israel has already built a temple or because of the treaty, Israel builds a temple and starts to sacrifice in the temple. By the midpoint, there has to be a temple built and sacrifice is going on because that's when he puts a stop to it. Okay? Now, if you look on your chart, in the middle of that seven year period, I've got a column there of the events that take place in the middle. Okay. When the Antichrist enters into a war with the ten kings, he gets killed. Now, we talked about that last time here. He, was, he, he has the wound of the sword. In, in uh, Revelation 13, when it's talking about the imposition of the mark of the beast and the false prophets uh, causing people to, to worship, it says there uh, in verse 14, it says, he deceives those who dwell on the earth because of the signs which was given him to perform the presence of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who had the wound of the sword and has come to life. So we know that the Antichrist is killed. If you go down in verse uh, chapter 13, verse 3, it says, and I saw one of the heads as if he had been slain and his fatal wound was healed and the whole earth was amazed and followed after the beast. They're amazed because he was dead and now he's alive again. So whether it is a resurrection from the dead, either way it's in a physical body like Lazarus came back from the dead, this Antichrist is going to come back from the dead, probably by the power of Satan, and Satan is going to have his full control of this being at that time. He is going to be a type of Christ in the sense that Satan wants to be worshiped like God, and so he's going to mimic God in the fact that he's going to put, he's going to put himself up as, as God the Father, and he's going to have this resurrected Antichrist as, as the Son, and he's going to have this false prophet as the Holy Spirit. So he has an unholy trinity made up of the devil, the Antichrist, and the false prophet, and they're going to rule for 42 months. And we'll talk about the political part of that in a minute, but we're, right now we're talking focusing on the Jewish part of this. So back in Daniel, he mentions the the abomination of desolation. If you go to, hold your place in Daniel, and you turn to Matthew 24, Jesus is giving a summary of the seven years in Matthew 24. Matthew 24, Daniel chapter 9 through, through chapter 12, and Revelation chapter 13, Uh, 12 through 13, are all connected together, talking about the um, the same thing. So in Matthew 24, Jesus gives a warning to the Jews that live in Jerusalem. And he says in verse 15 of Matthew 24, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place. Now here he's talking about the abomination of desolation. So what happens is, that the Antichrist puts an end to the Jewish ability to have worship of their God, of the God of the Old Testament, through sacrificial system in in the temple. He puts an end to that by coming into the temple, and he puts his image in the Holy of Holies, and he desecrates the temple, and he creates an abomination in God's temple. Okay? Now, Jesus says to the Jews that are in Jerusalem, he says... Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to get his things out of that are in his house. Let him who is in the field not turn back to get his cloak. But woe to those who are with child and to those who nurse babes in those days. But pray that your flight may not be in the winter or on the Sabbath. For then there shall be great tribulation such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor shall ever be. And unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Now, he says, he's not saying that the time frame is cut short. He says unless that had been brought to an end, at the right time, nobody would have survived. So at the beginning of the, the abomination of desolation, which is at the midpoint of the, tri- the, midpoint of the tribulation, The last three and a half years of the tribulation is the greatest destruction and distress and and devastation that the world has ever known. Now, the first half was bad. The second half is going to be worse. Okay? Now, for the Jews, it is the abomination of desolation, which means it is the coming of the final desolation. If you'll remember in Luke chapter 21, when Jesus is speaking about the destruction of Jerusalem. He says the same thing as far as an admonition to those that live in Jerusalem at the time of the 70 A.D. destruction of Jerusalem. He says in verse, uh, in verse 20, he doesn't say when you see the abomination of desolation. In Luke chapter 21, verse 20, he says when you see armies surrounding Jerusalem, In verse 20, "...but when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then recognize her desolation is at hand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let those who are in the midst of the city depart. Let not those who are in the country enter the city, because these are the days of vengeance, in order that all things which are written may be fulfilled." Woe to those who are with child and to those who nurse babes in the days, for there will be great distress upon the land and wrath to this people, and they will fall by the edge of the sword and will be led captive into all the nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. So here he's talking about that there's coming a time of devastation to Jerusalem that, ha- that occurred in 70 A.D. that is similar to what's going to happen in the middle of tribulation, but it's different. Okay? So the desolation we will end with the finished work of the Antichrist. Now, if you go back to, to Daniel chapter 12, I want to show you all these things and how they fit together. In Daniel chapter 12, verse 1 talking about the time of the end. He says, Now at that time, Michael the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people will arise, and there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation. This is the second half of the tribulation. We know that because you go on down there to verse 6 he's talking to an angel and angels there and the the angel said to uh, the one said to the man dressed in linen who was above the waters of the river so daniel's talking to the angel how long will it be until the end of these wonders which he's talking about is the greatest time of distress upon the world that's ever been and he and he, and i heard the man dressed in linen who was above the waters of the, of the river he raised his right hand and his he, and left toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time times and half a time. Now, what does the time times and half a time refer to? Three and a half years. Three and a half years. So that's how long it will be. So I'm going down there, and it says until as soon as they finish shattering the power of the holy people, all these events will be completed. Soon as they finish the desolations that are being poured out on Israel, and Israel is brought to its knees, and it cries out as a remnant nation. For Jesus Christ to come back and save them and be their king, which is what's going to happen. If you go to Hosea chapter 15, it talks about that prayer when they cry out for the Lord Jesus Christ to come back. You remember in Matthew chapter 23 when Jesus said, How often I would have gathered you together, but you would not. You will not see me again until you say Hosanna to him who comes in the name of the Lord. Until you cry out that Jesus is king, you will not see him again. And so part of this destruction in this last half of the tribulation on the Jews is to bring them to their knees to cry out for Jesus Christ, for them to be saved and regenerated, and cry out that Jesus Christ be their king. And they will do that at the end. But it takes three and a half years. Now, in verse 11, from the time that the regular sacrifice is abolished. Now, when is the regular sacrifice abolished? At the middle of the tribulation, at the middle of the seven years. So the abomination of desolation is the same time as the discontinuation of the sacrifices. So at the time that the regular sacrifice is abolished and the abomination of desolation is set up, there will be 1290 days. We know that from the abomination of desolation at the midpoint until Christ coming back is 1260 days, Right? It's three and a half years, 1260 days, three and a half years, 1260 days, 42 months, 42 months. At the end of the 42 months, at the end of the 1260 days, Christ is coming back to put an end to the Antichrist. But then there's going to be an additional 30 days that the abomination of desolation is still going to be in the temple. And then he says, How blessed is he who keeps waiting and attains to the 1335th day. Well, 13th and 35th day from the midpoint is another 75 days from the time of Christ comes back. The reason they are blessed is because you have the judgment of the Gentiles in Matthew 25, the judgment of the sheep and the goats, which are the living Gentiles on earth when Christ comes back, and He separates them into the righteous and the unrighteous. The unrighteous die and go to hell to be raised again to go to the great white throne judgment later. The righteous go in their physical bodies into the kingdom age And they're blessed because they survived to go into the kingdom age. So if you were part of the Gentiles that were included in the camp of the sheep, the righteous ones, you survived to the 13th and 35th day, which means you entered into the kingdom age, the thousand-year messianic reign of Christ. You see the point there? But the abomination of desolation will not be taken out of the temple that's in Jerusalem until the 30 days after Christ comes back, which means that that's the point when Jerusalem is refurbished, changed, and the new temple is put in place, the Messianic temple, the temple for the millennial kingdom. There will be a temple in Jerusalem when Jesus Christ sits on the throne of David. In Mount Zion, he will be there with a new temple, and this temple will be put in place before the kingdom begins. And it will not be put in place until 30 days after he returns. See how all the scriptures tie together to make all these things happen. Okay? Now did, did the Jewish people I always just wonder you're preaching to, or not preaching, but you're you're teaching us as Gentiles. But did the Jewish people who had the book of Daniel see this? this same way, they obviously aren't looking for a return of the Messiah. So, how do they handle these? Uh, all this stuff in Daniel? Do they, I mean, if you had go them back to go sitting yeah. here and you're teaching them and you're saying, You guys better watch out because this is what's gonna happen. Go back to Daniel chapter 12, yeah. Daniel chapter 12, verse 4. In the middle of his prophecy to Daniel, he says to Daniel in verse 4. But as for you, Daniel, conceal these words and seal up the book until the end of time. Many will go back and forth and knowledge will increase. So he is saying that the Jews will not be able to comprehend and understand these prophecies until the time of the end. So the Jews in the tribulation time will come to be awoken to be able to understand the promises and the prophecies of Daniel, and then they will cry out for Jesus Christ to come save them but not until then the jews as a nation will not believe in jesus christ as a nation the individual jews will be saved just like they were at all times the individual jews will be saved and be made part of the church now but during the tribulation there is the 144,000 jews that are that are sealed at the beginning and then there's the remnant of the nation that will cry out for jesus christ at the end and they will all be saved but they're reading this too They'll be reading this too? No, but they are reading it now. Now, but they don't understand. It's sealed to them. So so their reading is gonna be sealed to you and they're like, Oh, that's, I can't see because they're They can't see. Just like when Jesus in Matthew thirteen, he starts he starts after the Jews are pronounced that they've committed an unpardonable sin as a nation. Then Jesus begins to teach in parables because it's not for everybody to hear, it's only for the ones that are gonna be brought into the church. Nick. I can say from being around Jews in Israel a lot that uh, you're exactly right. They're blinded to this and they're more, they're more concerned today about keeping the law, about hand washing and, and things like that than they are the actual scriptures because Jews today don't really care about the actual scriptures that were written to them. They care about the uh, commentaries on the scriptures, the not Right. So these things, they just, they don't even know about stuff like this. Yes, they don't. So does the verse 8 and 10 in that Daniel 12 also talk about this issue of the Jews not understanding? Yes, yes. It says there in verse verse 9, Go your way, Daniel, for these words are concealed and sealed up until the time of the end. Now, Daniel was a prophet for the Jews. And so to the Jews... As a nation that's going to be brought into the, the, the kingdom age, they're not going to be brought up, they're not going to be allowed to be a part of that until the end of the age. And, and the verse 8, even I think that's what they saying, I heard, but I can't understand. Yes. And, and when you think about it, there is no one who can understand unless the Spirit of God opens up your heart. So it's the same way with with us today when we're preaching the gospel. Only those that the the Spirit of God opens up their heart can hear the gospel. They can hear your words. And what they do, just like the Jews did, they hear the words of the, the Old Testament. People today hear the words of the gospel, and they translate it into a religion. And they try to do a religious thing to be in agreement with that, but they don't have a comprehension in their heart to be able to respond in their heart because they can't. It cannot. It's sealed up. Well, there are those that think that the church will go through part of the tribulation. With this information, there's no way that that happens. Well, we will explain a little bit of that in a minute, especially the ones that that say that the church will go through the first part, which is not the wrath of God, but the second part is the wrath of God. And so they'll say pre-wrath. But it doesn't make any sense for the church to be a part of what God has planned for the 70 weeks for Israel. That's why... If the church was here, he wouldn't need 144,000 Jews to be his witnesses. The church would be his witnesses as long as they were here. But that takes place at the beginning. Okay, one other passage about the Jewish problem that's going to happen at the midpoint of the tribulation is in Jeremiah 30, verse 7. He's speaking of the prior to the coming of the restoration of Israel in faith and righteousness. He says, Alas, for that day is great, there is none like it, and it is, it is the time of Jacob's distress, but he will be saved from it. So it is the time of Jacob's trouble. It is a time of distress. And if you'll turn to Revelation chapter 12, you'll understand why that is. Remember, we already covered this, but in Revelation chapter 12, there is a passage dealing with Satan. Satan is cast down from heaven verse 7, there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels waged war, and they were not as strong enough, and there was no longer a place for them found in heaven, and the great dragon was thrown down the serpent of old called the devil and Satan. Okay, so right now Satan has access as a created, angelic being. He has access to go before God. At the midpoint of tribulation, he is cast out by God's angels that have that he is no longer allowed to be in heaven again. And so in verse 12 of chapter 12, it says, For this reason, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in the earth. Woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has come down to you having great wrath and knowing that he has only a short time. And when the dragon saw that he was thrown down to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. And the two wings of the great eagle were given to the woman in order that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she was nourished for a time Times and half a time from the presence of the, serpent, presence of the serpent. So the last three and a half years, Satan is trying to annihilate the Jewish people because he knows that God has made a promise that he's going to redeem the Jewish people, and if he can destroy all the Jewish people, just like he tried in Genesis chapter 6 to destroy, destroy all human beings to keep a seed from being born, here he's trying to destroy all the Jewish people to keep a remnant from being saved. He's trying to thwart God's purposes. He knows his time is short, and he goes with full wrath to try to destroy all the Jews. And this happens at the midpoint of the tribulation when he turns his focus on destruction of the Jewish people as a whole. And then we're given the the account of how, how that's going to turn out in Zechariah chapter 13 when it says that a third will survive. In chapter 13 of Zechariah, verse 8, it says, It will come about in the, all the land, declares the Lord, that two parts in it will be cut off and perished, but the third will be left in it. And I will bring the third, part, the third part through the fire, refine them as silver is refined, and test them as gold is tested. They will call on my name, and I will answer them, and I will say they are my people, and they will say the Lord is my God. At the end of the tribulation, the remnant as a nation will cry out for the Lord Jesus Christ to be their king and he will come back and save them. And that's what Romans 11 is talking about when, we're, uh, when Paul is dealing with the idea that, that God is not finished with Israel. He has a plan for Israel. And in chapter 11, he finishes that uh, section on God's plan for Israel when he says in verse 26, And thus all Israel will be saved. It's all Israel that are living at the time of his coming. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion, he will remove ungodliness from Jacob, and this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. From the standpoint of the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, but from the standpoint of God's choice, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. So what God promised to Abraham, he's going to fulfill, and he's going to bring a remnant, a righteous remnant, into the land of Israel, and Jesus Christ will be their king, and he will reign with them for a thousand years to fulfill his promises to Abraham and all the through the, all the prophets and promises. Other questions? What was that reference that you just said Paul was talking about? What was that reference that? Romans eleven, twenty-six through twenty-nine. Okay. So that, that kind of gives you an outline of the purpose for God's dealing with Israel during the tribulation right. and especially the second half. So the, the that's talked about in Matthew chapter twenty four? Yes. That includes, he's speaking specifically of Israel, the elect of Israel. Most of the saved during the tribulation will be martyred, not all. So it would include the the Gentile saints that are going to be the sheep and the goats, the sheep. They will be also saved from being destroyed because he's bringing it to an end before they can be killed. But if he didn't bring the, the tribulation to an end and the unholy trinity was allowed to carry out its work, it would destroy all the people of Israel. That's why he says... Unless he had brought that to an end, none would be saved. OK, so we're running out of time, but anyway, we'll, we'll try. During this time, if you remember, the Antichrist program was he's consolidated with the Ten kings up here. He's consolidated with the 10 kings for the first three and a half years. They have a one-world political system that is run by 10 kings and he is with the ten kings. At the midpoint, things change. He becomes dictator. He subdues three kings. So if you go back to Daniel real quickly, uh, to chapter 7, when Daniel had the vision of the four beasts, which represent the four kingdoms, the, ne- uh, Babylon, the Babylonian Empire, the Medes and the Persians, the Grecian and the Romans, and then the extension of the Romans is the Antichrist. And so when he's talking about the ten toes in Daniel chapter 2 being the last stage of this uh, Gentile ruling kingdoms. He says in verse 23, The fourth beast will be like a fourth kingdom on the earth, which will be different from all the other kingdoms, and it will devour the whole earth and tread it down and crush it. As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom ten, horn, ten kings will arise. So out of the fourth kingdom, out of the Roman Empire, there will be at some point ten kings that will rise to rule over this earth. So it'll be a political system put in place as a one-world order. Now, everybody in the world today is clamoring for there's got to be a one-world system because we have too, many, too much trouble out there. There's too many people that are not on, page, not on the same page. We've got climate change. We've got we to save the world. And we've got to have that, just like when COVID hit, we need a, a world response to this. It's, it's, too bigger, it's too big for one nation. So it's gonna, there's going to be a plan put in place. And it says the ten kings will rise, and another, another king will arise after them, and he will be different from the previous ones, and will subdue three kings. Okay, and so it says he will speak out against the Most High, and wear down the saints of the Highest One. He will intend to make alterations in times and in law, and they will be given to his hand for a time, times half a time. So the Antichrist is going to come in at the midpoint after he is resurrected. If you go back to chapter thirteen of Daniel, I mean chapter thirteen of Revelation. When he is resurrected, brought back to life from the wound of the sword, and all the world will be amazed at him, it says in verse 2, And the beast which I saw was like a leopard, and his feet were like those of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him power and his throne and his great authority. And I saw one of his heads as if it had been slain, and his fatal wound was healed. And the whole earth was amazed and followed after the beast. And they worshipped the dragon because he gave his authority to the beast. And they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who is able to wage war with him? And there was given to him a mouth speaking arrogant words and blasphemies and authority to act for 42 months was given him. So he is given the authority by God to be the dictator of the world for the last 42 months of this times of the Gentiles, this last, the fourth kingdom, and the last stage of the fourth kingdom is this last ruler of the Gentile nations, which is the Antichrist. He gets his power from Satan, he gets his authority from God that God allowed. If you remember when God was speaking to um, Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel, God is the one who puts people in kingdoms and takes people out of kingdoms. God has allowed this to take place to bring the Jews to their knees, and he's going to allow this to carry out. And so the Antichrist has 42 months to wreck to, to wreck his havoc upon the earth. This is the four, this is the The third woe judgment on the earth is this unholy trinity that is unleashed, okay? So, the seven kings, the the ten kings give their authority to the beast, and in chapter 17 of Revelation, it mentions them again. And giving their authority to the beast... Verse 12, and the ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom, but they receive authority as kings with the beast for one hour. These have one purpose, and they give their power and their authority to the beast. In verse 17, it says, for God has put in their hearts to execute his purpose by having a common purpose and by giving their kingdom to the beast and that the word, until the words of God be, should be fulfilled. So here you have now the political system of the world degenerating into a one-world dictatorship that is controlled by Satan and his beast, the Antichrist, and his false prophet, which gives them two. Okay, so that's the political establishment that establishes it at the midpoint of the Tribulation. So at the midpoint of the Tribulation, if you look at your chart, at your chart, you have the Antichrist killed and brought back to life. You have the two witnesses that, that, were, that were prophesying in Jerusalem for the first 1,260 days. They are killed by the Antichrist, who has been brought back to life, who has been given the power by Satan, and he kills these two witnesses. And then in front of all the people, they are resurrected by God and are raised to heaven uh, physically with a glorified body right in front of everybody to see. The kings of the earth submit to the Antichrist. All right, the religious system is destroyed. Okay, so if you remember, at the beginning of the tribulation, he imposes a one-world religious system apart from Israel. And the, the religious system is the... Is the System that will give that will kill those that become believers in the first half. In verse chapter seventeen, verse one, and one of the seven angels and had and had the seven bowls came and spoke to me, saying, "Come here. I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth committed acts of immorality, and those who dwell on the earth were were made drunk with the wine of her immorality." And he carried me away in the spirit into wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast full of blasphemous names having seven heads and ten horns. Now the beast is the one who's engineered the system and the system includes the religious structure that he has imposed which work together with the beast so he can further his influence and his power for the first three and a half years. And they're going to do that by imposing the religious dogma of Antichrist. That will be the religious, that you cannot name the name of Christ. It says, The woman was clothed in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a gold cup full of abominations of the unclean things of her immorality. And upon her forehead a name was written a mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the witnesses of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered greatly. This is the religious system that is in concert with the political system that the Antichrist has imposed on the earth for the first three and a half years. Now, in verse 16 of chapter 17 of Revelation, And the ten horns which you saw and the beast, these will hate the harlot and will make her desolate and naked and will eat her flesh and will burn her up with fire. This happens at the midpoint. Why does it happen at the midpoint? Go back to Revelation 13. Just like that he has done away with the political structure of the ten kings and put himself in as the god of this earth or the king of this earth, the same thing is true about the religious system. It says, uh, it was given, in verse 7, it was given to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them and authority over every tribe and people and tongue and nation <laughs> was given to him and all who dwell on the earth will worship him, Everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who has been slain. So now, instead of having a religious system to follow, you must worship the Antichrist. Now, verse 11, the false prophet is introduced who is going to function somewhat like the Spirit of God functions in the church today. I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke as a dragon. He exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence. He makes the earth and those who dwell on it to worship the first beast, whose fatal wound was healed. And he performs great signs, so that he even makes fire come down from out of heaven to the earth in the presence of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth because of the signs which was given him to perform in the presence of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who led the wound, who had the wound of the sword, and has come to life. And there was given to him to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast might even speak, and cause as many as who do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. And he causes, this is the false prophet, he causes all, the small, the great, the rich, the poor and the free men and the slaves to be given a mark on their right hand or on their forehead. And he provides that no one should be able to buy or sell except the one who has the mark, either the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for the number is that of a man, and his number is 666. So the worship of the Antichrist is the religion of the second half of the tribulation if you do not worship the antichrist and you are found out you will be beheaded in verse chapter 20 verse 4 after Christ comes back he says i saw thrones and they sat on them and judgment was given to them and i saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of the testimony of Jesus because of the word of god and those who had not worshiped the beast or his image and had not received the mark upon their forehead and upon their hand they were martyred by the antichrist and his minions and by the false prophet. But, in chapter 14, there's a declaration about this mark of the beast, about this worship of the beast. Verse 9 of chapter 14, another angel, a third one, followed him saying with a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast and his image and receives a mark on his forehead or hand, worshiping of the beast The sign of that you have given your soul to the beast, to the devil, and worship him as your God is that you take his mark. Okay? If anyone does that, He will also drink of the wine of the wrath of God which is mixed in full strength in the cup of his anger and will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and the presence of the Lamb and the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever and they have no rest day and night. Those who worship the beast, his image, and whoever receives the mark in his name. Anyone that takes the mark of the beast is not elect of God. We know that everyone who is elect of God will be saved. So those who take the mark of the beast are part of those who are deceived and those who desire to follow Satan and the Antichrist and are deceived by his power and are drunk with his his ideology, his religion, and they worship the beast and gladly take his mark. Now part of the persecution of those that won't take the mark is that they cannot be included in the economic system that is in place of the Antichrist political system. You can't buy and sell if you are not devoted and worshiping of the beast. So during the second half of the tribulation you have the full-fledged power of the unholy trinity, you have the, the, holy, the false prophet causing all men to worship him as God, you have the implementation of the mark of the beast to allow you to buy and sell. If you do not do that, you have to hide yourself away from being caught, you have to have underground churches, underground believers, not churches, underground believers holding together, trying to protect Jewish that are being persecuted by the Antichrist and Satan and other believers that are being killed if, they, if they're if they found out without the mark of the beast. So that is the incorporation of things that happen at the beginning of the tribulation and go all the way to the end and um, the summary on the chart is that we have come to the completion of the, at the midpoint and everything has been put in place for the next three and a half years. So uh, when we come back next week, we'll either answer your questions that I've created so many of through this part, first part, or we'll start looking at the, the, the chronological sequence of the second half of the tribulation. Okay? All right, let's stop there and... Uh, pray and then you can ask questions. Father, we thank you for our time together. Thank you, Lord, for the amazing understanding that throughout Scripture you have fitted your prophetic plan into a way that we understand that it all fits together, that you have a program for Israel, you have a program for the Gentile kingdoms that will be used of you to bring judgment upon Israel and the world. You have a program for the church that will not be a part of this last seven years of the times of Jacob, these, the church will be in heaven going through the judgment of Christ, preparing to reign with you for the thousand year kingdom and come back with you. And Lord, I just thank you for this clarity of understanding of the truth of your word. Lord, I just pray that we would take this and be emboldened to serve you, to live for you, knowing that you're coming again and that you're going to put in place all these things to bring in your glorious kingdom. And Lord, that we'll be a part of that and we'll reign with you for that thousand years and then forevermore. We praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.